Jurassic, Devonian, Cambrian. Even if you're a geology major, you may not know that these terms and the rest of the geologic record have been radically altered to fit evolutionary philosophy. How did this happen? Stay tuned. It takes either a lot of time and a little bit of water, or a lot of water and a little time. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. The geologic column is a man-made vertical display of the various geologic eras and time periods within the Earth's strata. Creation is believed the layers point to the Genesis Flood, with different sediments being laid down at different times during and after the Flood. However, evolutionists say it took hundreds of millions of years for the strata to form, and that the fossils found in the strata show the evolution of one kind of organism into another. We're challenging that claim. So please join us for the next 15 minutes as we discuss the geologic timescale and unearth how evolutionary thinking has distorted the truth about the age of the Earth. Plus, we'll learn a little bit about the history of geology as well. Now, geology scientists originally did not assign a time and age to the rock record. ICR geologist Dr. Andrew Snelling explains. Initially, it had nothing to do with their age. It had to do with giving a group of strata that could be recognized on a global scale, uh, giving them a name so that people would understand what you're talking about. And originally, of course, people were thinking of a global flood. So local and regional names were assigned to these rock units. They had to have some way of giving them names, and so they gave them names according to where they found them. So, for example, the Devonian is named after Devon in England. The Cambrian is named after a tribe an ancient tribe in Wales, because those rock units were found there. Carboniferous, named from the coal, carbon. In the United States, the Carboniferous is divided into Mississippian and Pennsylvanian. You can guess where that came from, of course, Mississippi and Pennsylvania, where the coal beds are in Pennsylvania. So they were just labels to recognisable rock units that could be traced over large areas and found in identical sequences all around the world, which made sense in terms of a global flood. And the rock units were divided as pertaining to creation and the flood. Initially, these rocks were called the primary, secondary, and tertiary. Interesting. Primary down in the pre-Cambrian, uh, secondary from the Paleozoic to the Mesozoic, from the Cambrian up to the Cretaceous, and then the tertiary. And why did they have that subdivision? Primary was creation, secondary was the flood, tertiary was post-flood, quaternary was the present. Fourfold subdivision was actually based on original subdivision of all this, the geologic record and all these strata and the fossils in them was originally based on the scriptural record. But then, a different mindset influenced the way the strata was viewed. Other geologists came along and rejected the flood as an explanation they began to think of these rock units as taking long periods of time to develop. And so what was originally just a name for a group of rock units became the name for a long period of time. People get the same word, Jurassic, can mean a bundle of rock units or a time period. So when I use it in terms of the flood, I'm only talking about the bundle of rock units. Whereas a geologist who believes in millions of years, he's thinking of a period of time, 135 million years ago up to 65 million years ago, which has been defined as the extent of the Jurassic. 
So what happened to change the belief that the strata was formed due to a global flood catastrophe to that of changes by evolution? Well, to get a bigger picture, let's step back in history for a moment and find out just how modern geology got its start. Here's ICR geologist Bill Hoche. When I think of stratigraphy, uh, which is the study of strata or layers in the earth, I think of Nicholas Steno. He is uh, probably the founder of geology, the founder of flood geology as well. In 1669, he laid out his principles of stratigraphy that every geologist still uses today. He was also a Bible-believing Christian who believed in the time scale for the earth on the order of 6,000 years and the earth's major layers of fossiliferous strata were the product of the flood. And Steno helped correct a peculiar belief people had regarding fossils. He also led the world out of the superstition that says fossils were non-organic, quote-unquote, sports of nature or something that formed in the rock. They just happened to look like living creatures. They really weren't. The scientists of the day before Steno and contemporary with him, they went to great lengths to explain these fossils as occurring non-organically, for they knew that as soon as they acknowledged that they were once living creatures, then this opens the door to a flood catastrophe kind of interpretation. We don't want to go there. And so for that reason, Steno had a lot of resistance. Even with resistance, Steno did show that fossils were of true organic nature and represented evidence of a global flood. So then, what changed people's minds about flood geology? Well, what happened in the history of geology since Steno was that philosophy was intruded into the science in the 1800s. Philosophy in the form of Charles Lyell's idea called uniformitarianism. Now, people have applied the cliche, the present is the key to the past, to, uh, to Lyell. I don't think he ever used that phrase. But nevertheless, it works. So what is the meaning of the phrase, the present is the key to the past? In other words, his philosophy said this. If you see a thick sandstone layer that might be, let's say, 400 feet thick in Grand Canyon, let's say, well, how are we to explain that? Lyell would say, well, you need to go to present-day processes to explain this. Well, where do you see sand being deposited in the present world? Well, you go to the river deltas, for example, and there you see sand being built up perhaps two centimeters every hundred years or something of that sort. Obviously, it would take hundreds of thousands of years to deposit a 400-foot thick deposit. It was on this basis that the scientists since Lyell began to believe in an old earth. It was that philosophical abstraction that was added to the rocks. And because of this philosophy of an older Earth, evolution became a stronger concept. Dr. Snelling. They talked about, well, if the fossils are a process of evolution, you know, the fossil sequence is a result of evolution over long periods of time, they were trying to think out, well, how long would it take one animal to turn into another? But it wasn't until the discovery of radioactivity that they suddenly realized or thought they had a technique, a physical process, because a lot of it was find some physical process that can act like a clock to date these rock units. And we've been doing research to show that those assumptions are wrong and therefore those radioactive clocks are not as accurate as they thought they were. Although some evolutionists have accused creationists with pretending the geologic column doesn't exist, this isn't true. ICR geologist Dr. John Morris says... It's not the strata that creation geologists have a problem with. It's the inaccurate dating of the rocks by evolutionists that have creation scientists concerned. When they start attaching numbers to these rocks, hundreds of millions of years or 150 million years or 300 millions of years, these numbers uh, have very little input behind them. 
they're thought to be calibrated nowadays by radioisotope dating, but as we've talked about in other programs, even the radioisotope dates are very subjective and filled with unproven assumptions. And the more research we do, like here at ICR, we're doing this rate research, R-E-T-E, radioisotopes in the age of the Earth. We're finding many, just many contradictions and incompatibilities. These numbers are not hard and fast. And uh, there's reasons for creationists to think there's a better way. I think the flood is the key. And Dr. Morris says perspective plays a major role in dating the rock layers. You know, as a geologist, I've found lots and lots of rocks and fossils. And, you know, it's a funny thing. I have never found a rock or a fossil that came with a number attached to it to tell me how old it was. You've got to interpret it. You've got to make sense out of it in your, in your worldview, in your way of thinking. Evolutionists do that by the geologic column. They say, well, this type of fossil evolved so and such an age, and, and so they attach that age to it. It's all intertwined with evolution. But creationists have a different way of thinking about things. And they look at the bulk of the rock record as, as really deposited by the flood. Interestingly, both sides agree that water was involved in the formation of the sedimentary rock record. It's the amount of water that's in question. There's one good slogan we can remember. All of these rocks that contain the fossils, the, the geologic column, they're pretty much all water deposited, laid down by water as sediments and then hardened in the sedimentary rock. The fossils are dead things that were buried in these sediments, and now they've hardened into fossils. But they're all water-related. It's just a matter of the rate and the, the dynamics of the deposition. The slogan you can remember is, it takes either a lot of time and a little bit of water, or a lot of water and a little time. One argument of evolution is that different organisms evolved into other organisms, because each is found in different rock layers. So why do we see this separation? Dr. Snelling. According to the scriptures, all animals lived before the flood. And uh, the dinosaurs that didn't get on board the ark would have been left outside to be washed away. But we're told that the flood began where? In the oceans. The fountains of the great deep broke open. So which creatures would be the first to be affected by the floodwaters? The creatures that lived on the ocean floor. So what do we find in the Cambrian, Ordovician, Silurian strata? Only marine creatures. And uh, as the floodwaters rose, they would have got to the land to cover the land. So where do we find the land creatures? On top of the marine creatures, up in the Mesozoic. They don't start appearing in the geologic record until the sort of Carboniferous, Permian, and then more so. So the dinosaurs were land creatures, so they weren't affected initially by the flood. However, there's one type of creature that's found in all layers of the geologic record, invertebrates. These are ocean-dwelling creatures without backbones, such as clams. Here's Dr. Morris. The fossil record is just full of marine invertebrates. In fact, it's been calculated that over 95% of all fossils are marine invertebrates. The rest are pretty much all plants, like in, in coal. Just a very minor percentage, just much, much, much less than 1% has anything to do with land. That's all the dinosaurs, all the mammals, all the everything put together. It's just a whole lot less than 1%. Most of the fossils are marine invertebrates. And this, once again, points to a global flood. The ocean fossils are found on the continents. In fact, the continents are made up of ocean-bottom rock. In the ocean, there's hardly any ocean-bottom rock. It's kind of interesting. It doesn't look to me like millions and millions of years. 
these sediments are all catastrophically deposited. And here we have the record of ocean bottom sediments full of ocean bottom fossils on the continents. They destroyed the continents, just like the Bible says happened during the great flood of Noah's day. Dr. Snelling. People don't like to talk about it today, but the scriptures talk about the flood as a time of judgment, judgment by a, a holy God who was outraged by man's rebellion. God provided the ark for salvation in Noah's day, and he provides salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ for us today. The Bible says that just as God has surely judged the world the first time by war and a flood, the next time he's going to judge by fire. And the way to escape that judgment of God is to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Get on board the ark of salvation that he provided when he died on the cross for our sins. And that's a challenge that everyone has to face up to. What are we going to do when we have to face our maker? Will we be on the ark of salvation or will we incur his wrath of judgment? As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.